Chapter Twenty Six of the Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. Bliss sat on a bench in the public gardens of Bermondsey, his hat on the back of his head, the perspiration streaming down his face. On his knees was a cheap little bag of shiny black leather, filled with imitation leather heels and containing an order-book, which he had not yet opened. In his pocket was the precise sum of three shillings and sevenpence halfpenny. So far his second essay as a commercial traveller had not been distinguished by any great success. A man who had been watching him from the opposite side of the walk got up and came over to his side. "'You seem tired, mister,' he remarked. Bliss glanced at the speaker. He was dark, corpulent, and Semitic. He had an amiable smile and an oily voice. He was very dirty. "'So would you be tired,' Bliss replied, "'if you had been trying for three hours to sell something nobody wants to buy.' The newcomer shook his head. "'If you had anything cheap to sell, my friend,' he said, "'you can always sell it. I expect you want too much money. What have you got in that bag? Bliss opened it readily. Heels. Do you want to buy any? The fat man looked at them in an interested manner. Now that is very queer, he observed. I'm in the boot trade. I know all about heels. What are your prices, young man? Bliss drew out a list from his pocket. I'm fed up with it, he sighed. Every heel has a gum label with a number on it. Here's a list of the numbers with the price per pound attached. Help yourself. The fat man, with the list in one hand and the heels in the other, looked them through. Then he shook his head. Very dear, he pronounced. Eleven pence a pound. Very dear indeed. I've heard that before, Bliss remarked. It's getting quite familiar. Do you know anything about this business, young man? Not a darn thing, Bliss replied, feeling the better for the expletive. Then why did you take it up? I sat next to the man for whom I am trying to sell the beastly things in the tram coming up from Camberwell, Bliss explained. We got talking, and I told him I was out of work. He told me his name is Morgan, and that he was a manufacturer of leather heels, and he offered me a commission on all that I could sell for him. According to him, I had only to show myself on a boot manufacturer's premises, and he would throw his arms around my neck and pray for these heels. He gave me a list of names. I've seen sixteen manufacturers this morning. Those who found the heels the right shape found them fifty percent too dear. Those who found them reasonable value told me that the shape was hopelessly out of date. His new friend handled one of the heels thoughtfully. "'You'll never make a living at this, young man,' he declared. "'I know that,' Bliss agreed. "'At least I have gathered as much this morning. "'What are you going to do about it?' Mm, "'Take the heels back and get another job,' was the somewhat mournful reply. The flat man moved along the seat a little nearer to Bliss. "'Look here,' he confided. "'The man who makes these heels has been trying to take advantage of you. Now I will tell you a way you and I can put our heads together and pay him out. 
and we make a little for ourselves too. I've got some old billheads, J. Marcus, leather dealer. I will write you an order for three hundred weight of these heels. Your friend, Mr. Morgan, he won't stop to make any inquiries. He'll only be too pleased to sell the heels at his own price to anyone. He'll bundle them down. I shall be out. The porter will have to call back for the money. We will sell the heels. I know a man who will give sixpence a pound for them. Threepence each, eh? Then you hurry off and try some other way of making a living. Bliss packed up the heels, closed the bag with a snap, and looked at his companion. It's quite a scheme, he observed. Come along with me, the other invited, and I'll get the billhead and write the order. Bliss, from sheer want of anything else to do, followed the man. He led the way to a house in a little row of miserable dwellings off Tanner Street. At the bottom of the entry there was a small shed. The fat man looked around with satisfaction. "'My warehouse,' he announced. "'I shall tell them to leave the sacks outside because the place is full. Now I write the order.' He wrote it out with a stump of lead pencil. "'I don't like to put more than three hundred weight,' he said tentatively. "'But I know a friend. He has a real shop, but he's no money to part with. He would give an order too.' "'I think one at a time,' Bliss suggested. The man sighed regretfully. "'You get those heels down here this afternoon,' he said, "'and I'll see you at eleven o'clock at the goat's head round the corner.' "'That's all right,' Bliss agreed. Bliss made his way back to the tumble-down little factory in Finsbury. He found his friend, the manufacturer of heels, sitting in what he was pleased to call his office. Bliss banged the samples down on the desk. "'Thank you very much,' he said. "'I can't sell any of your beastly heels.' "'Get any offers?' Bliss produced the order. "'There's a gentleman here,' he announced, "'a Mr. Marcus, willing to buy three hundredweight, numbers sevens and fives, at elevenpence.' "'Come, come, that's a start.' "'He proposes,' Bliss continued, to dispose of them at sixpence somewhere or other, and he and I divide the proceeds. That's the only offer I've had. He's waiting down at his warehouse for the heels. Mr. Amos Morgan grinned, and regarded his new traveller with a little more interest. "'Lots of that sort about,' he remarked. "'I'm not one of those mugs, though, who deliver stuff without making proper inquiries.' "'Anyway,' Bliss concluded, I'm very much obliged to you for the opportunity, but this job's no use to me. I wish you good morning. Mr. Amos Morgan scratched his chin for a moment. He was a large, untidy-looking man, coatless and collarless, with the sleeves of his somewhat grimy flannel shirt rolled up to his elbows. He had spent some years in the States, and betrayed traces of his transatlantic sojourn. "'Hold on a minute,' he said. Let's have a look at your list. Bliss handed it to him. Mr. Morgan glanced it down. Price is a bit stiff, he remarked. So I gathered, Bliss agreed dryly. Rather a fool's job for me, wasn't it? He added, thinking of his weary feet and of the mortifications of the morning. It's my way of testing a chap, Mr. Morgan asserted. I call it a beastly way. 
Bliss rejoined with emphasis. "'Maybe and maybe not,' was the reply. "'However, if you haven't found another job and you want to stick at this, you can quote twenty per cent off those prices, and I'll give you another list of names. Will you take it on?' Bliss hesitated. It was nearly half-past one, about the hour when six months ago he would have taken an aperitif and strolled into the fashionable restaurant of the moment in London, to be welcomed by a bowing maitre d'hôtel, and tempted with all the delicacies which the man's ingenuity could suggest. "'If you'll advance me a shilling out of my commission to get some dinner,' he proposed, "'I'll have another try.' Mr. Morgan received the suggestion without enthusiasm. His hand, however, slowly dived into his trousers' pocket. "'I'll be frank with you, young man,' he said. "'You're about at the end of your tether, and so am I. I'll advance you your shilling, but you've got to sell me some heels before Saturday. There's wages to pay, and a leather bill.' "'I'll do my best,' Bliss promised. "'But you must remember that I've had no experience of this sort of thing.' I don't know whether they're pulling my leg or not when they tell me about prices. You don't need to know anything, Mr. Morgan declared. You've got your bottom prices now, and I want cash less five per cent for the stuff. Now, if you're ready, I'll come along and take a bite with you. Bliss sat opposite to his employer at a small table in a neighboring restaurant. In the front window was a dejected-looking ham and a decoration of sausages on a string. The interior of the place was scarcely more inviting. The tables were nothing but boards laid crossways on trestles. The menu was written on a slate and passed from hand to hand. The tablecloth was coarse, inadequate, and grimy. And yet, curiously enough, neither these things nor his unwashed companion, whose table manners were frankly non-existent, affected Bliss's appetite a thing which had so often been ministered to in vain by the most experienced chefs. He ate Irish stew and he drank beer, a beverage which a short time ago he would have declared poison, out of a tankard. When he had finished he made a cigarette from some fragments of tobacco and took up his bag. "'I'll see what I can do,' he promised. "'You've got to sell some of those heels,' his employer grunted. "'Good luck!' Bliss spent an afternoon, the memory of which, in later days, often made him shiver. Once more he was snapped out by small boys through wicket windows. He was obliged to wait in draughty lobbies, elbowed and pushed about by workpeople coming and going all the time. He was exposed to all manner of snubs and discourtesies from people who, from his point of view, were unmentionable. Nevertheless, he felt a thrill of real pleasure when a small manufacturer in the Bethnal Green Road, after nearly half an hour's hesitation and fierce struggles to reduce the price, at last wrote him out, with grudging fingers, a small order. "'My first order,' Bliss told him as he held out his hand. "'Much obliged to you.' The manufacturer, whose name was Rosenthal, and whose hands, notwithstanding what seemed to be a diamond ring, were very dirty, looked suspicious. "'What's the matter with the heels?' he asked quickly. "'Mind, they must be up to sample. 
I shall look at every one before I pay. The heels are all right, Bliss assured him. It's a new job to me, that's all, my first round. Bliss met with one or two small successes, and on his return found his employer much impressed with his afternoon's work and the number of calls he had made. Say, he remarked, you're a worker and no mistake. Bliss proceeded to enlarge upon one of his difficulties. These fellows, he explained, can't all pay cash. It's the prompt payment that puts a lot of them off. Mr. Morgan shook his head and sighed. Every cent I've got is in those darned machines, and then there's money owing on them, he confessed. I've got to have money to pay the wages, or else enough to draw a bill. If you can bring me in orders like this every day, I can get round the corner. But up to now, I haven't found anyone who would cover the ground like you do. Will you have one? Bliss drank a glass of beer with his employer, made his way to the tube, and fell fast asleep on his journey homewards. He called for Francis, and they sat for a time on a bench in one of the squares. The night was hot, and the air lifeless. They neither of them felt inclined to talk much. Bliss's legs ached, and Francis was more than usually weary. She smiled now and then, however, at Bliss's account of his afternoon's labours. Seven shillings worth of commission,' he told her. "'I've never worked so hard for money in my life.' She looked at him almost pityingly. "'And yet you can talk of the future as though it were full of hope,' she sighed. "'It is,' he replied firmly. "'Before many months are up, something is going to happen.' She rose to her feet a few moments later. Her dejection was written in her face. "'I think,' she said, "'that it is hotter out of doors to-night than in. I am going to bed early. I have to be in the city at half-past eight in the morning. I daren't be a minute late, as I am only on probation.' They walked slowly homewards across the dusty streets. The people from the boarding-houses were all sitting out on the steps, or leaning out of the windows. Every one seemed to be struggling for a breath of the tired, fetid air. Bliss glanced at his companion, and his heart ached. The shabbiness of her clothes, unsuitable for the season, was becoming almost pitiful. She had grown thinner within the last month. She had even lost something of that erectness of carriage and free, swinging walk. She was being broken on the wheel of poverty. Francis! he begged earnestly as they reached her door. Don't lose heart. Have a little faith in me. Do believe that our troubles won't last forever. She shook her head sadly. Tonight, she confessed, I can't believe anything that's worth believing. You won't do anything rash. She made a little gesture of acquiescence. But her farewell was listless. She passed through the door and disappeared without once glancing back towards him. Bliss turned away with a sigh. End of chapter 26